So I think for non-Christian guys, we've got to start way back. You know, the old idea of a back to church Sunday, you're not gonna you're not gonna get these blokes because they're not church ain't on their radar. The profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Emma Fowl. The Profile is the show where we chat to a well-known Christian about their life, faith and ministry. It's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. The monthly title features more interviews just like this one, all the latest news, reviews, columnists and much more. If you would like to subscribe, you can head across to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe for print and digital options. Today on the show, I'm speaking to Nathan Blackaby, CEO of Christian Vision for Men, about finding God in Brazil, cycling a bathtub across the UK, yes, really, and what it means to break down stereotypes around blokes in church. Nathan, thanks for being with us on the Profile Podcast today. Um, it's really great to talk to you. Um, I wondered if you might start by just sharing a little bit about what your own home life was like growing up. Did you grow up in a Christian home? Yeah, okay, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Emma. It's good to be with you. Um, yeah, so I did. I grew up in a Christian home in Harlow in Essex, so spent my first uh, 20 years, actually, in Harlow. Father, he was a, an electrician. Uh, my mum was a civil servant. So real grafters, they, yeah, they worked really hard, had a solid faith and would take my brother and I, my brother's four years older than me, and they would take us along to church. We'd be involved. Yeah. So we knew about God in the home early on. We, we kind of had that narrative over our home and our life that, yeah, we had, we had that Christian narrative. So it was, it was a good place. And Growing up, did you ever wander away from the faith at all? At what, what, what point in your life did you make a personal commitment for yourself? Yeah, I think I kind of, like I say, I kind of knew about God and the Easter story, the Christmas story. I remember being able to recite all of the Bible books <laughs> from memory. Uh, and so it was, it was in my life, uh, but I didn't really know Jesus as my personal saviour or Lord or I wasn't journeying with Jesus daily as I grew up and went to uni. And so for me, there was definitely a few turning points, actually. I, I remember being sort of about 11 or 12 and thinking, is this for real? Do I really want to believe this? And that was a real time of questioning for me where I started to perhaps emerge from underneath my mum and dad's faith um, and start to kind of express something for myself. Um, and then actually I was overseas um, abroad in 20, no, 2000. Um, and that was the significant turning point for me. I was late teens, early 20s and yeah, made a, made a definite decision to follow Jesus. So where did you go and, and what did you do when you went overseas? So we had an interesting time. So my, my parents knew a guy who was a church planter with uh, UFM at that time, Unevangelized Field Missions, they were called. Uh, called Keith Cornell and he went out to a place called Madabar and he spent about 40 years church planning with his family and um, truly inspirational guy and he invited me to go to Brazil on like this short-term missions trip so it was like six weeks and I actually said no I thought to myself I don't want to do that uh, so I was 19 at the time and then he came back and he asked me again he was like I really think you should go on this trip and I was quite arrogant and I was like you know what if my church will pay for this holiday I'll go 
and somebody in the church paid it was like 1400 pounds and you know in 1999 2000 that's a lot of money i mean it's a lot of money now but to anyway long story short went on this short-term mission trip um and it totally blew my mind yeah there were three moments we worked with some street kids and it just there was there was a particular moment where a lady was trying to sell me her children there were she had two twin babies the tiny little babies and she was obviously drug addict and she was trying to sell me these kids and at 19 20 you're not emotionally prepared for that sort of moment so that that upset me a lot actually I, I got really upset in the evening thinking about it once it happened and then we visited a, a young offenders prison and it had a 15 year old lad in there um horrific conditions and he he had his arms out the bars and he was sobbing and I, I couldn't speak Portuguese then. And I said to the translator, you know, what's he saying? She said, he's in here for murder and he, he's just crying for his mum. And, you know, and my heart was broken. I was honestly, I obviously kept up, you know, the Essex bloke veneer and, oh, yeah, you know, let's get, you know. But deep down, I was broken. Um, and then the last thing that happened on that trip was um, we went to this church that my friend Keith and his family had planted. And... I remember just sitting there and again, couldn't understand anything, but I think for the first time in my life, I had an overwhelming presence of the Lord. And I think when the Lord's presence is that real to you, you can't, you can't deny, you can't keep up the wall and, and the act. Um, and at that point I decided, you know what, I'm all in, I'll follow you, Jesus. And I'll, I'll, I'll go where you tell me to go and I'll do what you tell me to do. And it, and it hasn't always been plain sailing, and I've certainly gone my own way lots of times. But, yeah, from that point on, I, I started following Jesus for real. So that's really interesting. It was actually seeing the suffering in the world that brought yeah. you to yeah. a place where you decided to commit your life properly to Jesus. Yeah, I, I felt like I needed to be part of the solution. The suffering in the world that I think the Bible has a response to. I think Jesus has a response to pain and the evil in the world. And that's the message of the cross. And once I started to see that and feel that, you know, I couldn't I couldn't turn back. And then from that, I've been able to witness in different experiences in, in, in Brazil, the power of the gospel. And once I had seen the power of the gospel, it transformed this kind of learn theory based religion that i'd grew up with to wow actually jesus is alive and there's a lot of power at work here and he's changing lives that society can't change that human systems can't change and it, only by the work of jesus so yeah those experiences opened my eyes a lot and you actually went back to brazil at a later point in your life for for a longer time didn't you yeah, so my wife and I, after that experience, I was sharing with Jen, my wife, we got married in 2001, and I, I kept going on about it, how it changed me, and she could see that it changed me, and she was like, well, why don't we go out and let's give a year to God and see what he does, so we went out for a year, uh, and we moved to near Brasilia, um, near the capital, and we worked for a year in an orphanage, and it had children in from 0 to 18, you know, babies that had literally been dumped on rubbish tips with with hiv aids and, and you're thrown into this kind of experience feeling utterly useless but the kids uh, the kids it, you can impact their lives it was incredible and even now like what are we 20 years on i'm friends with some of those kids that were in the in the kids unit they're on facebook and they've got their own kids now 
uh, and we're chatting on Instagram and on Facebook. And it's amazing to see how their lives, they're now adults, have been impacted just from small stuff. You know, we talk music and English and, and just befriended a lot of the teenagers, took them for pizza and, and did stuff that kids needed to do. You know, living in an orphanage was brutal. There were families where there was like five siblings or more. The whole family were in there. So to go and have a pizza and just to feel like a kid, you know, that was important. So whilst it didn't perhaps on the surface, it might not look like much, but yeah, being able to provide that for those kids was massive. So yeah, that, that was something we got involved in. And then we moved out to Brazil longer term for about four years with Latin link and, and worked in drug rehab and, and prison work. Yeah. What do you think are the, the biggest lessons that, that God taught you during that time? So I had a huge amount of fear in my life going over some of this stuff. And, and like hindsight's a great thing because you, you look and think if I, if I only knew what I would come up against or see, there's no way I would have gone. But, but you, you don't see that before you make that decision to go. But I remember one evening I felt really crippled by fear and this feeling of, can I really trust you with my life, God? Like, will what will happen? And I did the old and tested technique of, Put, like grabbing your Bible and putting your finger in the Bible anywhere and just reading. I mean, I wouldn't recommend that, but in this instance, it worked. And I went to Matthew 5, 16, and it said, let your light shine among men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. And I felt a whisper from the Lord and it was just trust me, just be my son, follow me, trust me, and I'll do the rest. Like, you know, and I, I really took that. And that was certainly something that we, we used in Brazil when we were up against some really difficult times. And because Brazil is an incredible country of contrast, it's such a melting pot of religious expression of rich and poor of, yeah, it's a very interesting place to be. So we were thrust up against the very poorest of, of Brazil that literally had run out um, of life. But then we had one foot in the, the influential areas of Brazil where People wanted to speak English with you and wanted to be aligned with you because you were Western and had that sort of influence and education. And so we straddled those two worlds. But um, God certainly did some amazing stuff while we were out there. And it was a real privilege to be part of that. So lots of people would probably find themselves sometimes in the position where the, the, the hurt and the pain and the suffering in the world actually draws them away from god or yeah. you know often non-christians say how can you believe in a god when there is so much pain and suffering and inequality and obviously you don't share that view what so what is it about the gospel that you think allows us to speak into that pain and suffering well i i think i think as christians we're never excluded from it so we we speak into it because we're qualified to because we're humans and we go through pain and suffering like everybody else but i think that the problem of evil in the world and and for me, Christianity is the only religion that really addresses it. It's the only religion that really tackles it and says, you know what, there is an answer for this evil in the world. There is a solution to this pain and it's Jesus on the cross. Uh, and uh, for me, that's been my motto. That's been my go-to. It's like, yeah, the gospel works. And, and Brazil really opened my eyes to that, that there is tremendous power in the name of Jesus to transform the darkest places the darkest lives, the worst communities, and it works. The gospel works. You know, we've we've seen guys journey through horrific addictions um, to to discover new life in Jesus. And I I wrote a guy off once 
but in 2010 there was a, a mine collapsed in Chile. You you might remember, maybe your listeners do. There was like yeah. 33 guys got trapped in this mine. Anyway, there were no signs of life for 17 days. Uh, and the president of the country, he built this monument on the hill where these guys were trapped because they assumed they were dead. Okay, so there was a monument built uh, technically over the lives of living men. They were still alive. And in Brazil in 2010, I was obviously in South America at that time. And I went to this kid's house, Rodrigo, he was 18, a drug addict. His mum had called us and we went in the room and I took a picture because I couldn't believe it. It was the worst scene I've, I've seen. And to add to it, add to the darkness and the heat and the atmosphere. And there was a hole in the wall and through the hole, well, there was a chain and he was chained up and his mum had chained him up. And she said, if I undo the chain, he's crazy, just smashes through the ceiling and I can't control him. And if he goes out, the, the drug dealer on the corner said, I'll kill you, I'll kill him. And he'd already killed one of her sons. And she was like, I cannot risk it. This is it for him. And I remember grabbing my car keys because I was driving. And I said to my mate Everton, I said that we should go. We can't help. And he gave me the worst dirty look ever, as if to say, you're an idiot. Uh, and I was an idiot because what I'd done, like the president in Chile in 2010, I'd built a monument over the life of Rodrigo, I looked and I said, there's no way this guy can recover from this. And he did recover from it. It took a year uh, and he found the Lord in his life. He found he had a gift of music and worship. He got engaged, got married and transformed his life. Uh, and it was a humbling experience because I'd written him off. So the gospel works, but it only, I think it works when, particularly for these guys and, and women in Brazil uh, that we we're working with, with addiction, it worked because they didn't learn the system. They didn't learn, you know, when to say yes, when to say no, when to sing the right songs and look like they were saved and following Jesus. They had a genuine encounter with Jesus and it transformed their lives. So, yeah, there's power at work. That's a really inspiring story. And I, I'm i sure that will be a great, it's a great encouragement to me personally. And it's, I'm sure it'll be a great encouragement to a lot of people that are listening to that today that we shouldn't ever quit on the no, people in our quit. lives that still need to know Jesus. So um, what happened at the end of your time in Brazil? What led you to come back to the UK? So a few things happened, actually. Um, we we had some investment, some investment from the UK into into our lives in Brazil. So we managed to build a few houses. We, we were staying on like, so we were working for Teen Challenge at that time in Recife in the northeast of Brazil. Um, we were on one of the sites where we were treating about 100 men. In Brazil at that point, there wasn't any drug rehabilitation for women. Um, so a few of us, um, part of the leadership team, um, got together. Now, we were the only Westerners. So this was very much a Brazilian run thing. Um, and we, we kind of shadowed the leadership team and, and just supported where we could. And we lived on one of these sites. So we built a few houses um, and the vision was to hand it over to the team and say, look, you know, let's reach these women. Let's try and get a project reaching women. So that's what they did. Um, and during that time, we started to sense that actually we need to go back to the UK, partly because we had two small kids uh, in what was a really difficult place to live. Um, and sometimes you, you can miss that. And I'll, I'll hold my hand up to this, that I didn't always see how, challenges it, how challenging it was for my wife to raise our small children. We've got three now, but then we had two. We were living in a very dangerous part of Brazil. Um, 
we were very much immersed into a culture which is a very masculine culture um, where, you know, men can do and say and be whoever they want to be. Women have to fit a certain mold. Uh, and that was really tough for my wife. And I didn't see that at the time. So it was really challenging for her to be out there. And it cost her a lot. She sacrificed a lot. But we got to that place where we said, you know what, we've probably taken this as far as we can. Um, so we we kind of moved out and the Brazilian team moved into the homes that, that we built. And they established the first free women's rehab in the northeast of Brazil. And and honestly, if I thought working with the guys was hard, working with the women was incredibly difficult. And, and I only say it because there were so many layers to their lives they were they were arriving as mums with kids they were arriving pregnant or you know teenagers with pregnancy and they carried with them a huge amount of past of abusive past and there there were so many layers to work through spiritually um so yeah the team out there really had a big job on their hands um establishing that project uh, but it, it was amazing to see lives transformed from utter darkness <laughs> to life in Jesus and restored. And, and not only that, but you remember the lady in the Bible who was suffering from the bleeding and Jesus healed her. He didn't only heal her, he restored her in community. You know, he, he touched her, he pulled her up and that was massive at that point. So yeah, for us to see the Brazilian team restoring these women, you know, physically, spiritually but also in community as well was huge so at that point we said oh, we've we've done what we were meant to do here um and we're just spectating spectating you guys do this so yeah for 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 a variety of reasons we headed back to the uk yeah and now you're part of an organization called christian vision for men i am do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do there? Yeah, of course. Um, so we didn't didn't come straight back into that. Um, I was pastoring a church for a while, but yeah, got to know CVM. And yeah, so CVM, its heartbeat, its central core vision is to get the gospel to as many men as we can. Uh, we have a deficit of men that believe in Jesus Christ in the UK. We have a deficit in our churches of Christian men. Uh, the impact that that has is fairly significant. Um, I co-chair a charity called Engage, making Christian marriage possible. There's about two and a half million Christian women in the UK right now that are looking for a Christian male partner and they can't find him because statistically he's not there. Uh, so that impacts a lot of life for a lot of people in the UK. So there's lots of benefits to trying to reach guys. Um, and I believe that if we can get a bloke saved then I think his family are greatly impacted by that. I've seen it in Brazil, I've seen it in UK. When a man gets saved, something happens in that home. And I'm not necessarily saying he's the head or anything like that. I'm just saying it has a, has a massive impact. Um, so that's why we go after guys uh, with a gospel like that. Um, so I work as CEO um, for the team. Um, I've been doing that for seven years. Um, yeah, amazing privilege to serve CVM in this way. So I know a little bit about CVM and I know that you get up to some pretty crazy stuff in your <laughs> pursuit of sharing the gospel yeah, with as yeah. many men as possible. So you've um, you've been on a particularly crazy challenge these last few weeks, haven't you? Oh, do you know what? Just you talking about it makes me feel a bit nauseous. Really? <laughs> yeah, it really does. I'm so tired. 
Yeah. Do you want to tell us what you've been doing? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it was something called the bike tub. So we've got this thing. It's not written down, but you know when you know sort of thing. And we've got the CVM Hall of Pain. So if you take on a grand challenge for CVM, your name is echoed around the, the, the you know, the halls of CVM. And we talk about it and we you're held in some sort of a <laughs> sort of esteem, you know. So we've had guys lay on beds of nails. We've had guys learn to swim and then do marathon swim sessions and blokes canoe for hundreds of miles. I, I tried, well, I, I did. I skipped a marathon once. I got into skipping um, and skipped for four hours nonstop, you know, the distance for marathon. Um, so, yeah, we've had loads of challenges. So in lockdown, I thought it'd be fun to take a bathtub, put wheels on it and pull it and cycle it from the widest point in the UK. So from Wales, St. David's across to Lowestoft, I then thought it'd be fun to put someone in the tub and pull them. So that was going to be my brother. Who's like six foot two, 20 stone. Uh, and then gradually my plan started to fall apart. I thought there's no way I can do this. Uh, but we did our best. And we last week returned from pulling a bike tub across the UK, not with my brother in, because we literally couldn't move it up the hills. But um, yeah, so that was it. And why? Why would you do that, Nathan? Honestly, right now, I can't tell you why. <laughs> like, I'm in so much discomfort. And all there were three of us on the team. So my brother and I and Al, who's like the driver and van and support. And we all caught a stomach bug right at the end. So we've been wiped out. But the point is, it was meant to raise a bit of money for CVM. So we call it a grand challenge, raise a grand. We raised about 12,000, which was a massive. But also it was, well, it is about just keep putting CVM out there to try and reach as many people as we can. Because CVM has been about 30 years and there is a proven strategy. There is resources, network on how we can effectively reach men with the gospel. You know, blokes who do not want to know, blokes who just think, nah, that church stuff, it ain't for me. Blokes who are sitting down in a pub, perhaps right now, reading the sun, having a warm beer, and are so far from the church radar that they might not, in the rest of their lives, ever set foot in a church building. How do we rescue these blokes? How do we change the eternity for this man who's sitting in a pub? You know, how are we going to get him? And, and CVM has been about that for 30 years. And I said to you off air that, my, my hope was that there'd be women listening who will say, that's my husband. That's my bloke. That's my partner. He, he just does not want to know. So yeah, we're out there. And, and I wanted to encourage that we are seeing blokes get saved, but it, it does take up to about five years. We found out it takes about five years um, to lead a bloke to Christ. And he has to hear the gospel 30 times on average. So it's not quick, but it does work. Is that, is that because men are terrible listeners? <laughs> Sorry, what was that? <laughs> yeah, it could be, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure we're meant to get into such stereotypical <laughs> statements, are we, about no, men and no. women's roles? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's very true. I mean, in, um, my dad, as you know, um, yeah. was as, as far from being yeah. a person who would want to know anything about God before he yeah. eventually became a Christian. He was a weightlifter. He was a drug addict. He was a, a bouncer, a doorman. He was, you know, a very strong yeah. East Ender, a bit of a thug. And, and, and that's exactly what he would say about his own testimony, that he had absolutely no interest. He thought church was for 
uh, little old ladies and pearls and twin sets and he did not need god because he was perfectly big and ugly enough to take care of himself so i guess those are some of the stereotypes that cvm are really passionate about trying to break down aren't they yeah absolutely and and also trying to mobilize so we've we've got in the uk church such a strong network and army of christian blokes who if mobilized and and tasked and focused they could be smashing it they could be reaching their mates left right and center you know so it's partly it's us cvm waving the banner and saying look what do we do how do we reach these blokes we've got some strategy we've got some resources but it's also saying christian guys stand with us like even if it's not cvm i'm not trying to put cvm's badge or label on anything you know if men's groups partner with us brilliant if they don't brilliant you know we're resource we'll stand with you we'll cheer you on our heart is how do we get the gospel to as many blokes as we can and i think encouraging the christian men churches to be fired up and say look let's be part of this let's let's reach these men let's be strategic then it'll be a game changer honestly i think it would that was nathan blackaby speaking to me emma fowl here on premier christian radio you're listening to the profile and we'll be hearing more from nathan right after this hi this is sam from premier christianity would you like a free copy of the book that everyone is talking about right now john mark comer's live no lies i'm reading it myself and really enjoying it you can get it when you subscribe to premier christianity magazine you'll get the uk's leading christian magazine delivered through your letterbox each and every month plus this book take out the offer now at premierchristianity.com what do you think some of the biggest barriers are for men in hearing the gospel? So I think we start from a difficult place. So I think guys are further back than we realize they are, you know, and CVM has learned this over time. Church will start at a very specific place of assumed knowledge and, and assumed just acceptance of the message we're giving. Whereas a lot of guys, it will start way back you know, just a conversation over marriage or life or, you know, what's happening at the minute in, in your life. You know, I, I discovered this early on. We lived in a place called Ean, um in Derbyshire and there wasn't a huge amount of guys in church. You know, there wasn't a huge amount of unsaved guys hearing the gospel. And I, I said to the vicar, Mike, I was like, where are all the blokes? And he went, oh, they're down the pub. It's like, right. And my neighbor played darts. So I said to Chris, I'd love to play darts with you. And it was a genuine thing. I wanted friendship. It wasn't just how do I go and evangelize these blokes playing darts? It wasn't that. It was how can I make some mates? How can I get to know some people? So we started playing darts. It took about 18 months, two years, every Tuesday, drinking a few pints and playing darts with these lads to, to get in with them. And I endured a lot of Christian jokes, as you might imagine. But gradually, one by one, I started to have an audience with them. They'd invite me into their homes to pray because they felt it was a possessed home. They'd invite me to pray because they felt sick or they were ill or there was, you know, they're worried about stuff. But it was in the sidelines. It was in the margins when this was happening. So I think for guys, non-Christian guys, we've got to start way back. You know, the old idea of a back to church Sunday, you're not going to get these blokes because they're not, church ain't on their radar, you know, so creating genuine friendships and gradually introducing your faith, your life, what makes you tick, offering to pray, turning up, showing up, being that bloke who checks in, 
you know, that's why I'm saying it's a long-term thing, but you will gradually break those, break down those barriers that lots of guys have to church. And I actually think there's less barriers than we think. I think there's less. It's just, it takes a long time to build that genuine friendship. Uh, but that's what CVM is about. And we were talking earlier as well, weren't we, about the number of single women we have in our congregations yeah. that, you know, that come to church that, that may be married or in long term relationships, but whose partners are not yeah. Christians and how hard that must be for them. So what, what would your advice be to them? Well, yeah, brutal. I mean, it's a brutal journey that and and that's one of the things we've seen at CVM. We've got a load of women who support us, actually cheer us on, give give monthly to the charity because they just they're in that place where they've been praying for their partners for like 20 years and saying, you know, Lord, would you save him? Would you reach him? Open his eyes to the gospel. But she will go to church every Sunday on her own. He won't go, doesn't want to know, not necessarily blocking or stopping faith in the home and stuff, but just for him personally, doesn't want to know. Um, and there are so many blokes like that. Um, and our network is full of stories of hope of guys who have come to faith you know, I can think of a guy at a gathering. So we, we run this men's festival every year. And one guy that came to faith at the gathering, he exactly fits that mold. For 20 years, his missus was praying and he came to the front and he said that to us. He said, you, my, my wife will not believe this. She'd been praying for two decades, but it had to be his decision. It had to be his journey. And helpfully what she'd done, she hadn't put Bible tracks up everywhere and playing worship music in the home all the time to try and, you know, brainwash him. She'd just given him space on his journey, which was amazing and incredibly patient. But he got plugged into a group of guys around him, Christian blokes, a men's group, and they reached out to him and they found a common interest. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was something like, again, it was around good ales and food. And they got him involved in, in the community as mates invited him along to a few things that gradually introduced the gospel. So they weren't Bible bashing. It was one night they'd have a curry and they'd get a speaker in who wouldn't preach, just share his story. And then they invited him to the gathering and he heard the gospel presented to him in a way that he couldn't refuse. And he felt the touch of the Lord on his life and went forward. And that's not going to be the case every time, you know, there's different stories, but honestly, We've seen guys come to faith where uh, the wife has been praying for decades. So don't give up would be my advice um, and see what CVM do and, and help us get more men's groups because we need men around other men. And I know that's not probably a necessarily a popular thing to say in today's current climate, but I'll stand by it anyway. I think single gender, single sex groups, not all the time, but occasionally the church facilitating that and enabling men to meet with other men, no veneer, no gloss. We do truth. We talk life. We talk faith. And we go after our lost mates. And there's something unique about that. And I still think it's really important to push forward. Yeah. And there are, you know, particular issues that sometimes are better dealt with in single sex spaces within church generally. And, you know, as someone that works with men, you, you probably have to deal with quite a lot of those all the time, particularly around the areas of sex or Absolutely. pornography and things like that. You know, what are some of the biggest struggles that you find? So I think with men, there are certain things we do. So I remember hearing once, 
a guy spoke at the gathering and he said often what men will do when there's issues in their lives, they'll go into their, their shed. So it's not a actual shed. It's this kind of imaginary place where they deal with whatever item or issue is happening in their life. And the problem is when we go to that shed and we can't find the tool to deal with the problem and normally it's worked, but then for some reason we've hit this moment where the tools we we always went to no longer work and we've not got the skills to deal with it. And that's when guys will do a couple of things. They'll generally reach out once for help. They'll ask for help once. If it's rejected or doesn't work, they won't look there again. And then what guys are really good at is just self-medicating. It's just dealing with the problem and masking it and pushing it further and further down by yeah, booze, porn, whatever it is around them that takes that edge off that moment or that situation or that season in their life. And I can say that because I've been through that and know exactly how that feels. So it's a very real thing. And I think whether it's porn, whether it's too much booze, and that certainly was a thing in lockdown for loads of guys, just that regular drinking where it crept in. Um, Drugs, of course, can be um, another area, but even old patterns of life that emerge again, you know, we've, in a Christian kind of dialogue and narrative, we've got words like the the old life. You know, we put on put off the old self and we clothe ourselves with the new, you know, Colossians 3. And what happens is I think when guys are unguarded, undefended, isolated from other friendship and community of other blokes, that old self creeps back. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, habitual sins like porn or drink. It could be just unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, you know, patterns of the heart or attitudes of the heart that creep back in and start taking ground again in a guy's life. And then soon you're in a haze where you don't hear God's voice. You don't feel God's delight in your life. uh, And and you're very vulnerable to step off the narrow path and make a huge mistake in your life. And we see it Mm. all the time. And, And the men's group I'm in has been has been a lifeline for those types of reasons, because we've called stuff out. You know, we've been very honest, very transparent. The WhatsApp chat is always full of conversation, you know, and you need that real relationship. And I think when, and and I know people disagree with this about mixed groups and single gender groups, but if you put me in a room with uh, Margaret, who plays the piano at church on a Sunday in a floral dress, I will not talk about masturbation or porn addiction in front of her just won't do it i will not go to that level that as blokes we need to go to uh it just won't happen so i i feel like it's a valid thing to create these men's groups i remember speaking to graham kendrick because he does the worship at the gathering for us and he said what actually what you guys are trying to do it's like it's like a tuning fork and and where you get that nice perfect pitch it's like if you go to church and the worship leader sets the song too high Lots of guys will just drop out and stop singing and the ladies will be powering through. And then if it's set too low, you get the reverse. And he said, what we're trying to do is create that tone, that pitch where men, women, kids can really find the fullest uh, expression of following Jesus uh, in their life as church. So CVM are part of that. We're not trying to make men only churches or we're part of that uh, harmony, I think. Yeah, and and obviously as well, I think for as Christian men, you have a responsibility to, um, as Christian women do, to speak into the issues that affect men that don't have a faith. 
So, you know, just thinking over the last couple of years with the rise of sort of Me Too and sexual harassment allegations within churches and within society and all of that suddenly taking a much, much higher profile within within the world. And I know from from speaking to the Christian men in my life, including my own husband, that sometimes it's incredibly hard as a man to stand up and be counted um, amongst non-Christians that you know, when you know that there are behaviours going on that Mm. are not okay or you you need to challenge. So what what role do you think CVM and, and, and Christian men have within that framework? Yeah, I mean, that's huge. So CVM has strategic partnerships. So CVM wants to get the gospel to men. That's our strong point. That's that's our skill, really. Uh, there's loads of bits around that that are complementary, but we're not very good at, in truth. So we team up with partners like Restored, Ending Violence Against Women, and trying to encourage guys to really make a stand in that particular instance. And raising the bar high for guys and saying, look, these these things are unacceptable. And as Christian men, we need to have a voice about it. And, and use our power. And we, we developed the code about seven, eight years ago, where it's like a 12 point honor code. And it's all about that. It's all about using our power, our strength, our influence to build others up, to bring life, not death, to bless, not curse. It's, it's very motivational for guys, but it sets the bar high. It's saying, you know, if you're going to follow Christ, it will cost you. And here's some of the ways in which it will cost you. So, yeah, absolutely. CVM tries to use its voice, um, its network um, and reach to, to really partner with a lot of other ministries that do this stuff really well. Uh, and that's been something we've done for a long time. So I know that um, your, your live events, you, you reference the gathering, your, your annual men's yeah, I, I was going to call it a conference then, but I'm not really sure that that's <laughs> the, the right tag. Um, have quite a reputation, don't they, for being fairly fun events? Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, especially considering the the wild and wacky things that you get up to at things <laughs> like the, the gathering, which you can tell us a little bit about in a minute. Okay. How, how did how did lockdown affect you as an organisation? What did that look like for you? Lockdown for so many charities was a tough time. It really challenged a lot of a lot of aspects of the charity. So, I mean, if you consider men's groups, for example, we had over 400 men's groups across the UK, couldn't meet, you know, so suddenly we, we were a little bit paralysed in that sense. If you think about funding models for a lot of charities, um, very much geared around getting in front of people. So you'd run events, you'd be in front of people and you'd ask for support because as charities, you need to cover your expenses and keep resources going out and yeah, so it, it definitely impacted us early on. Um, we started to, like again, like many others, to seize an opportunity to say, okay, we can't do what we used to do right now, so let's try and get online, let's try and do things differently for a while um, and keep the energy around the gospel to men hot. So we put on a load of different events and weekly things. And interestingly, we'd get a lot of feedback from guys that said, I have to tell you, this is a lifeline for me in lockdown. And we had that a lot. A lot of guys were really struggling, isolated. So whilst it did keep the gospel energy hot, what it also did was it kept a lot of guys in faith, actually. Um, Just that we were still talking about it, still positive, still talking about God at work, excited about the Bible, excited about our faith, you know. So, yeah, we, we adapted really quick, did a couple of gatherings online, which we'd never done in 10 years. So yeah, it, it was a huge learning experience for us. But 
even in all that, we still saw guys get saved. You know, we put out gospel appeals. You know, your dad was on. We had Tough Talk on. We had, we interviewed loads of different people that could share the gospel. And we'd always invite people to respond and follow it up. And we had guys giving their faith over Zoom. Like, it was amazing. So, yeah, we've seen some good stuff. But we want to get back back in person, really. So um, you're, you're planning a, a gathering 2022, are you? Yeah, we are, yeah. So what crazy things can, can men expect from, <laughs> from the gathering? Well, the gathering the gathering's unlike any other Christian event, really, because we, we kind of designed it. I mean, Carl Beach founded it and he put it together. He basically just said, what sort of event would I want to go to? I'd want food, beer, cars, bonfire, comedian, live music, big stuff inflatables you know all of this stuff that you'd want at a festival so that's what we did and it's kind of grown to like two and a half thousand blokes and but one of the things that stands out the most and we always hear is when guys worship together and and even non-christian blokes we so every year for the last 10 years we get about 12 to 13 percent of guys give their lives to jesus for the first time at the gathering seen over a thousand blokes get saved at the gathering in that field and they all say it was the worship like when we started to stand with other men and and sense the presence of god through worship that was it yeah it's massive yeah so there's lots of fun stuff but it's it's old school tent mission it's put a load of stuff up around to get the guys in and then we unashamedly preach the gospel we we don't dress it up it's old school terms sin and salvation get your heart right with the Lord. We put a cross up at the front and you're invited to come and kneel at the cross. And, we, and we've had blokes run down the front before we've even invited them. It's amazing. Have you got a couple of, of testimony stories you might be able to share with us? Yeah, I got, well, so there's one that always impacts me and there was this young lad, so you have to be 18 to come. And there was this young lad, he was 18, he was at the foot of the cross sobbing. And um, there were two blokes behind him and one was older than the other. And it turns out it was his uncle and then his grandfather. And they were both saved and they, they led him to the Lord. And it was just such a beautiful sight to see the gospel running through generations of men and the impact that that would have to families, you know, to kids. So, yeah, it was it was a beautiful thing. So you were saying that um, Christian vision for men has existed for 30 years. Yeah over the time that obviously society and the world um, changes at perhaps an ever-increasing speed yeah. what, what do you see as your um the things that are coming up for you where do you, what do you think is in the pipeline for the next five to ten years so so cvm's got to keep not reinventing itself but we've got to keep we've we we can't get stuck in in the kind of culture push around us so what, what we're trying to do is stay true to the gospel. We're trying to stay true to taking the gospel to men. How we do that, I think, is open to change um, because there is a fast flowing tide of culture change around us. I mean, I'm 42 and a 22 year old bloke will see things very differently from me. And that's amazing. So I'm always looking to create platform, to create voice and opportunity for younger men who are coming through, who have a passion for the gospel, who can express it, communicate it, and share it to their generation. So we predict or estimate that you reach either side of you by about 10 years. So I'm effectively reaching 30s 
to sort of 50s. That's my that's my kind of range as CEO of CVM and, and trying to bring vision and direction to the movement. I need to find soon that 30-year-old bloke who can reach the 20s and, and reach, you know, into the 30s and 40s. So, yeah, I'm trying to always be aware that there is this culture culture shift. But with anything, having said that, the, the pendulum will always swing back. And CVM, over the last 30 years, has managed to navigate all of this because we've stayed true to the gospel. We make the gospel the main thing. That's it. And as I say, contextually, around how we share that, well, we can be creative, we can move with, with the times, but uh, we keep the main thing the main thing. But yeah, definitely trying to empower a new uh, wave of younger men who are really fired up for the gospel. That would be amazing. That's what I'm trying to do. And who would you say, Nathan, are your faith heroes? So I was I was really impacted by, do you remember the Run Baby Run, the Nikki Cruz? Yes. So David Wilkerson, for me, not that I went to work with Teen Challenge, obviously he founded Teen Challenge. It wasn't that connection. It was just, I had a book and it was the Times Square pulpit series preaching. There was like 20 of his sermons in there. And I would read that book over and over again. And there was something about David Wilkerson's preaching, his connection with God, his truth that he brought through. For me, he was a massive faith hero. And he would always go back to the secret uh, closet. It sounds a bit funny, secret closet of prayer. And he would always say, the person, the man you see in front of you is only here because of the, the prayer life that he was maintaining, this secret solitude this place with god in his life that he would always go to and that inspired me a lot so yeah he was he was definitely a faith hero and vince turner my sunday school teacher uh yeah he's with the lord now but um it was amazing to have a male sunday school teacher who him and his wife myrtle just shared shared the gospel incredibly I should imagine all church leaders across the land listening to that are going, yes, and amen. Please, can we have more men volunteering yeah. out Sunday That's schools it. and youth clubs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it is It is incredibly important, isn't it, for, for boys to have those role models and those mentors growing up in church as well. Absolutely. And I don't want to waffle on too much, but the whole rites of passage thing for young boys and girls. Like, so I've got a son and two girls. For boys and girls, it's vital. And let's say boys for a minute, you know, asking the question, when do I become a man? In our culture, it's not very clear. When do you cross over that threshold? Or for girls, when do you become a woman? You know, it's really, really interesting. And I think the church could do loads in celebrating those incremental steps because the message is often, for men anyway, be a better dad, be a better husband. I know already I need to be better in loads of ways in my life. But who's going to help me measure and mark when I am improving? Who's going to celebrate with me when I do change? Uh, And they're the things we need to really capitalise on. What is next for you? Are you going to be at CVM for the foreseeable? What what are the things that you're still dreaming about? So I'm very passionate at CVM about what we're trying to do. But I yeah, for me, I came out of lockdown having been in church and the church system for 30 plus years, led a church, really indoctrinated into church culture. I emerged from lockdown saying, I love Jesus, but 
I can't do this church routine anymore. I can't be part of something that is just about building up to a Sunday service and then we filter away again to nothing. It's not the way I want to live my Christian life because I think Jesus gave us a real model. He, he didn't go to the temple. He didn't go to the synagogue. He went to the marketplace. And, and something really resounded in that for me, that for a long time I've been part of that church system, the hymn prayer sandwich. And please hear my heart. I'm not being super critical here. I, I'm just at a point where I'm looking for something else. And that's not, I'm not losing my faith, nothing like that. But what I am looking for is community. I'm looking for ways in which I can live out a Christian church experience in community amongst broken people, lost, vulnerable, lonely, hurting people. And say, look, Jesus is here. He's amongst us. I don't want to be part of something that's just about singing and do you know what I mean? I, there's something else that I want to be part of. So at the moment, I'm looking at that and there's movements across the UK happening. And even within and around CVM, there's something called the Edge Network that Carl's leading at the moment, Carl Beach. And it's very much about reaching forgotten people in forgotten places. It's saying, can we be church community to the, to the marginalised, to the lost and broken? What does that look like? Because I travelled the country and we're coming out of lockdown and I heard it loads, and it was people saying, I love and follow Jesus, but I'm so tired of what I've been doing with church. I, I need something new. So are you saying that you no longer want to be part of a traditional church? No, not at all. And I'd be committed to lead one, but I, I wouldn't want to lead a Sunday service-focused church. Mm. I think that's what I'm saying. I, so much of church culture, of what we do, the life cycle of church, if you imagine it sort of building up, and then dropping back down, it builds up to the Sunday service. We bring all of our resources, everything together, all the weight and input and effort goes into that sun and then it drops back away. And it's like, that's great, but I, I just don't think it works. I think there's something new. I think there's a different way of being church. So, yeah, I'm really looking into that and exploring that. But we're still committed to a local church. Uh, can you do both together? Probably you know, because that's what we've always known is that established church and that rhythm and pattern of, of Christian life. But there's, for me, there's something about the people of God being houses of light in community that mm. maybe come together once a week to encourage, support, sing songs, give our tithe, pray together, have communion. But then the church is still the church, but in separate places um, and still having that impact and that influence. I think it just changes the the weight of what we call church. Yeah, so it becomes more like 24-7 community rather why not? than specific yeah, why gatherings. Not? Yeah, why not? And that's certainly what we lived in Brazil. It was a 24-7 community of Christians living church day in, day out. And, and there were services, but they didn't feel like, oh, I've just been to church. It, that, it wasn't it. We, we were church. And that's what I'm looking for. And I think a lot of people are looking for that. That was Nathan Blackaby speaking to me, Emma Fowl, here on Premier Christian Radio. We hope you enjoyed this interview. For hundreds more conversations just like this one, you can download the profile as a podcast. Just search for the profile wherever you normally get your podcasts from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile.